Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. Amen. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 5, starting from verse 38. And once again, if you have our church app, you could download that or you could look into it and then have our notes there so you could follow along. And as you know, we've launched our 2020 and 2021 church theme. And it is what? Shine. That is our theme. And I pray that that will be something that's, that will be always on the forefront of our minds. And we started off the whole theme by preaching on the book of Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to go all the way to the end of chapter 7. And we talked about chapter uh, 5 verse 14, 15, and 16, which is one of those key verses for us. In fact, that is the theme verse. So I want us to read it together. Can we just do it? It's up here. It says this on account of three, one, two, three. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Amen. And that's why we've been talking about how we're asking God to shine his light on us. And through that, our lives will be transformed. And from there, we can shine his light to our campuses, into the city, into the neighborhoods, and even to the nations. And that's our prayer. And so that's why... For the last two weeks, we've been covering this idea of, actually, it's a really revolutionary idea that they were just comfortable with this idea of religiosity and worshiping God. But Jesus comes and he says that if you want to enter into the kingdom of heaven, that there's a complete different lifestyle that we're talking about. It's not just about obeying the rules and doing the right things, but it's about an inner heart transformation. That's why in part one, we talked about the kingdom lifestyle. And then in part two, we talked about this idea of kingdom relationships and how that's important, the way we treat one another, the way we interact with one another, things that we do that might not seem so natural, but we do it because God has called us to, because we have a new citizenship. It's not here on this earth. It's a heavenly citizenship. We have a new king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So the way we live our lives have to be governed by this kingdom theology and this idea. And so today I want to talk about why it's important to shine the kingdom love because we were talking about relationships and then we're going to cover the other two and then we're going to cover into chapter six, the first four, some verses there. And so what I wanted us to do is just kind of get into the right frame of mind. And many of you who are keeping up with the news, a couple of the issues that have sparked so much of the protests all over the world, as well as even some of the marches and people who are speaking out. It was uh, police brutality and racism. And when you think about those two things, I believe there's one picture that struck a chord in the hearts of so many people. It's not just in the United States, around the world. So if you look at this picture, as many of you remember and you've seen this, It's a picture of George Floyd saying, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. And we know that after eight some minutes of this, he ended up passing away. 
And it was from this video, as well as these pictures that were on the internet, just exploded. And everyone said almost in unison, enough is enough. And that sparked a lot of the protests. In fact, uh, it's amazing how from this one instance or incident, it started spreading all over Europe. And so here are some of these uh, different uh, cities around the world that we will see here. Uh, um, well, we'll start here in uh, Asia, in Japan. And so we see Tokyo. Uh, there was a huge march for that. And then another one we'll see here. Uh, so this is also in Belgium, in Brussels. So we see this. Let's, let's move a little bit faster here. The Paris, France, and you see a, a humongous gathering of people. Uh, South Korea, uh, they started, they just, Koreans love demoing, okay? They love demonstrating. So that's why, you know, whatever it may be, all right? Praise God for Koreans, all right? And Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. And then you will notice in Madrid, Spain, uh, that was another thing that, and in, in the UK, this whole Black Lives Matter. Um, and then Mexico City, uh, it's a little bit dark, but you can see it there as they gather in the evening for a candlelight. And then we see in Berlin, in Germany. And there is something about injustice as well as pain that unites people together. Regardless of what color, background, language, there's something about injustice and this idea of uh, wanting to work through the pain that brings people together. I want to show you this uh, quick clip of uh, uh, some of you. I, I've shown it uh, different, I guess, vignettes or different scenarios before. But there's a TV show called What Would You Do? And so they hire actors to kind of act out different things in public. And then they have all these cameras built into that restaurant, built into wherever that place may be in that store. And then they would just kind of watch from the background and see what would people actually do. And some of these things were just egregious and crazy things. But the question is, would you do anything if you saw injustice, if you saw things that were going on? So let me just kind of set this up for you so you know what's going on. So pretty much what happened was that they were, um, th there were these teenage kids where one of them was white and another one was black. And so they're friends, so they're at this restaurant, but then there were two other white friends who kept on making comments about this black friend. Uh, who, they're not friends, but about this black person, but they were friends with the white person. And say, why are you with this person? And just watch the people who are in that restaurant and see how they respond. As I mentioned before, it is oftentimes through injustice and issues of pain that unites people together. So let's watch this together, shall we? Amen. What would you do? And I think for many of us living in an Asian culture, we would just ignore it. Because that's not our business. Let's not get involved. But the question for us this morning is that, is that the principle of love? If you saw bullying, if you saw injustice, if you saw something happening, like what would love do? What would Jesus do? I think it's so hard to love people who cause harm to others, isn't it? 
even as we talk about this topic, I think it's going to stir up a lot of things for us, whether it's from our past, maybe in our current situation, whether it's at work, roommate situation, or family. There's going to be a lot of stuff that's going to go through our minds and in our hearts. But the question for us today, once again, is are you able to love and forgive those people who are hurting you or who have hurt you and have mistreated you? Are you able to show this kingdom love to the most unlovable people who are right now in your life? I think the natural thing, and this is in no way a condemnation because I think this is just who we are as humans. The natural thing to do is to retaliate and to get revenge. And I know that is natural within me. Because ever since I was young, I had to learn how to stick up for myself. So I'm not going to take any of that beep. So I want to retaliate. I want to get revenge. I want to put them in their place. I want them to understand what they're doing is wrong. But once again, that's what's natural. But what is the most unnatural thing? Because this idea of kingdom values and this kingdom love that we're talking about this morning, it goes so contrary to what is natural. That's why you cannot love in your human love. It has to be something that has to be infused by the Holy Spirit. God giving us His love to love some of the most unlovable people. I think for many of us, when we think about revenge, when we think about retaliating, a lot of us can justify our actions because they hurt us first or they did this to us. And the thing is that a lot of these things are rooted in self-righteousness. As if we're the judge and the executor, that we get to judge them and say what you did was wrong, and then we exact the punishment that they need to experience. And a lot of it is from the self-righteousness. And sometimes it's rooted a lot in pride. And the scary thing for many of us is that we can use Scripture or even Christian sayings to justify things that we want to do in our flesh rather than the Spirit of God. That's why this new way of living, this kingdom lifestyle, it really has to be something not only do we understand, but God has to shine His light upon us so that we can shine this unnatural, out of this world, this unique, extraordinary type of love to those people in our lives. Listen to what C.S. Lewis said in his book, Mere Christianity. He writes this, When a man is getting better, he understands more and more clearly the evil that still is still left in him. When a man is getting worse, he understands his own badness less and less. A moderately bad man knows he is not very good. A thoroughly bad man thinks he is all right. This is common sense, really. You understand sleep when you are awake. Amen. Not while you're sleeping. You, you, you can see mistakes in arithmetic when your mind is working properly. While you are making them, you cannot see them. You can understand the nature of drunkenness when you are sober, not when you are drunk. Good people 
good. We're going to talk about alcoholism today. As C.S. Lewis continues, he says, see, this is why we couldn't get this stuff when it's on Zoom, right? Okay, amen? I'm so glad to be together again, amen? Praise the Lord. Uh, okay, last sentence, yeah. It says, uh, good people know about both good and evil. Bad people do not know about either. What a great reminder. The point is simply, if I could su summarize it for you, the more you are living righteously and knowing God, the more sinful you realize you are. And the more you realize it's God who's making you good. It's God who's helping you to love. It's God who's doing things in your life. But the more you're rotting inside spiritually, the less you know that you're messed up. Are you with me? That's what he's trying to say. And so sometimes we think we're very loving. We think that we're living this Christian life, but deep inside the heart, as we talked about last week and the week before that, it's a heart that we don't see, but it's a heart that God sees. And what he's saying is that until our lives are transformed from deep within, we're not going to be able to love. We're not going to be able to serve. We're not going to be able to do these things because a lot of it is driven by our self-centeredness. Because it's about us, what we want. And that's what he's going to address in this next section here, starting from chapter 5, verse 38, all through to chapter 6, verse 4. And so let me give us the one thing. The one thing is simply this. The weakness of our love makes us turn to the greatness of God's love. The weakness of our love, because it is weak. We think we're loving, but we haven't been tested. We haven't had those unlovable people in our lives. The weakness of our love makes us turn to the greatness of God's love because His love is great. His love can overcome any mistake you've made. His love can overcome anything in your life if you will fully understand and trust in Him for that. And so as we talk about this one thing, I want to talk about two responses that we must implement in order for us to see how the weakness of our love will make us turn to the greatness of God's love. So the first response is simply this, that we must put away our preferences. That we must put away our preferences. Jesus continues his teaching on how the kingdom lifestyle is not just about externally obeying the law, but rather it's about the matter of the heart and the motivation. This is going to be the constant theme that you'll see this for the next several weeks. In the previous section, Jesus addressed the topics of what? The relationships. Now he's going to close out with two more topics under this bigger category about relationships. And one thing we have to keep in mind is that when it comes to conflicts in any relationships, uh, whether it's that person's fault or your fault or both of your fault, which is usually the case, a lot of times we are trying to push for our own preference rather than genuinely learning how to love. So just think about that right now. Any conflict that you have right now in your life, oftentimes that other person or you are trying to push, or both of you are trying to push your own preference, and that's why there is a conflict. In order for us, because I was thinking about like preference, wow. Uh, like with many words, semantics are very, very important. And I realize that when I say preference, we all have like different understandings. Like 
do you want vanilla or chocolate? Or do we stay here or move there? I mean, there's a different degree of preference. So I'm going to give you the uh, Merriman Webster's Dictionary a definition of the word preference so that we all are talking about the same thing. It defines it in this way. First of all, the opportunity or power of choosing. And I put this in bold because it is this power that we want so that we can choose what we want. All right, so it is the power or the opportunity of choosing. The second part of the definition is the act or the fact or the principle of giving advantages to some over others. So this idea of advantage, what is the most advantageous thing, whether it's for you, for other people, that's why sometimes it leads into favoritism. So this idea of preference, it's about giving advantages to yourself or to other people. The third thing is priority in the right to demand and receive satisfaction of an obligation. This idea of demanding, that we feel like it is our right and we are demanding it. So this is the idea of preference that we're talking about. So think about this. When you think about these definitions, you will understand why there are so many conflicts in all the areas of your life and in my life. Think about it. Think about with your siblings. Not your A, bro, but you're really, your real bro. Your, your brother, your blood brother, and your blood sister. Think about your siblings. Those of you who are only children, you can go to sleep for a little bit. <laughs> five seconds. Why do you hate your siblings so much? Why do they hate you so much? I thought about this recently because there's some things going on. Uh, just in my family back home. And I'm just realizing that there are probably a lot of things that are slowly getting unearthed, coming out of things that never been addressed or it have been addressed, but it's just very painful. So a lot of times it's preferences that have been given to that person or preferences that they want and they're not getting. So that's why there's a conflict. That's why there's hatred. That's why it's hard to love your blood brother or your sister think about your parents same way why do they frustrate you so much because they probably have a preference of who you should marry no he's too short no he doesn't make enough money no there's a preference you should get this kind of job you should go to that school all this there's a preference that's why some of you don't get along with them Think about your colleagues when you get angry because of your pay because you realize that person is getting paid twice as much, but you're smarter, you do more than. If you've ever been in that situation, it's one of the most frustrating situations. Think about when you do something, but then that other person receives all the credit. It's preference. Like, I think I'm better than that person. I'm the one who did all that work. Think about your friends. Why is it upsetting? when they are not supportive, because they're your friends. So you have this preference that they will be able to support you. Think about even your spouse and your kids. Why are they not listening to you? Why are they not understanding? And so this idea of preference is so prevalent in all of our lives. That's what I want us to understand. Is that no matter where we turn, no matter what kind of relationship, it could be even customer service, 
the reason why there's so much conflict is because this idea of preference, the things that we want, the things that we are demanding, the power to choose, all these things we wanted in that moment. So now the challenge becomes this. As Jesus talks about putting away our preferences, what we have to think about is now he is challenging us with this idea of preference. So here are the two challenges. Listen to me carefully, and we'll see this in the scriptures here. The first thing that we have to understand as he's challenging us is simply do what is unexpected. That's the first thing. If you want to put away your preferences, then you got to start doing things that are unexpected. Let's go ahead and read verse 38 through 42. And as we read this, uh, just remember that this is in the larger context of when he's teaching about this whole Sermon on the Mount. And he talked about already about things like lust and anger and divorce and oaths. Now he continues on with these next two things as he addresses the issue of preference. So listen to what it says about retaliation. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who will borrow from you. So the, this topic of retaliation and we all know what that feels like when there's somebody who does something and we want to get back at them. We all know that feeling, this injustice, things that we feel and we want to get revenge. We want to make sure that they experience the same thing that we experience, the negative things. But again, Jesus starts off with what? That phrase, you have heard it once said. And he fills in that blank. And then he says, but I say to you. What he's saying is all your life, you grew, up, you grew up with this idea, this way to live your life, this human philosophy. For some of us here, this Confucius or like this really more this Asian kind of syncretism mixed with different Christianity, different things, Buddhism. Like you, this is how you understood life. This is how your parents raised you if they're not believers. But I say unto you, if you want to live a kingdom lifestyle, if you want to live differently, then what he says is then there's something different that you got to do. And so the law that Jesus was referring to is the Old Testament law. This is very important for you to understand so you can understand why he's teaching this. There is an Old Testament law that talks about retaliation and retribution. Now some of you are like, oh, really? Well, if you haven't read the Bible in the Old Testament, it's kind of like gruesome. A lot of stuff going on. There is an Old Testament law that allows for retaliation. Or should I say that anyone who wants retribution, they can apply this. Now, it's found in Exodus chapter 21, verse 23 to 24. It's found in Leviticus chapter 24, verse 19 through 20. And Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 21. I want to particularly read Leviticus chapter 24, verse 19 through 20. I'm going to read it from the ESV. Listen to what it says. This is the Old Testament now. It says that if anyone injures his neighbor as he has done, it shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for 
for tooth, whatever injury he has given a person shall be given to him. Some of you are like, hallelujah, I could beat him up now. But you, you have to understand why this Old Testament law was put in here and why it was given. Because if you just read it from a humanly flesh, you're like, yeah, then I could beat them up. They punch me, I want to punch them back. They hurt me, I want to hurt them back. So it seems as if God is allowing retaliation and allowing revenge on a person. But you have to understand this law was given to protect the people. Let me explain. The question is how? Like why? Because this law prevented the offended person from taking the law into their own hands. It's kind of like a vigilante. So God was trying to protect the relationships that are there. So for instance, if they did something to you, you get so angry, you want to do more back to them. Does that make sense? It's not necessarily a tit for tat, but it's like if they did this, now you're going to make them really suffer. That's the human flesh. That is what is natural. We want them to suffer more. So what God was saying is that if they did this, then okay, retribution, then it should be equal to the offense. So in that sense, he's protecting the person who is offended because they will naturally, in the human flesh, in their anger, in their hurt, will hurt other people even more. Another thing that you got to look at it is this. The justice system or the judges that they had, it also enabled them to give sentences that fit the crime or fit the offenses. So there might be some judges in their human flesh might not like this person because, I don't know, they didn't take a bath that day. I don't know, they, and they, or they didn't drink their coffee or whatever it is. And so they're like, you know what, you're such a bad person. Or they might trigger some memory in their own experience. They go, you know what, you're such a bad person. You deserve this. So it's God's way. This law was God's way of protecting people. But once again, this is the downside of human nature. We take something that is good and we use it for something selfish. And this is where we cause a lot of pain. So there were some Jewish people who were not very compassionate. I mean, look around you. Just even look in your life group. Look at people in your family. And there are people that are not as compassionate as maybe the average. And so you know that if you get on their bad side, they're going to get really upset. And that's something that my wife and I, we had to try to balance through because there were some things that our kids would do. And I'm just like, ah. And then my wife said, just love them. You know, I shouldn't say it that way. But, you know, just. And so we had to like, so praise God, we're like a balance of each other. And as I think about this, I realize that those who had no compassion, that they would insist on getting revenge. They will insist on retaliation. So once again, just by observing this law, the letter of the law, you could be like, hey, I'm justified. I could hate that person. I could do this per thing to this person. Well, what Jesus was pointing out was, listen, even though the offended person's rights were protected by law, that you can actually, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, it is protected by the law. But those who have a kingdom mindset do not need to claim that right. Are you with me? That's what he's trying to teach. Yes, you can do it. That guy knocked out your tooth, knock out his other tooth. You can do it. But if you're part of this kingdom mindset, this lifestyle, then you got to do what is unnatural, not what is ex 
or expected. That's why it takes a heart of humility and selflessness. This is why Jesus gives these clear examples, which calls for this unselfish attitude to let go of your preference and to be and do things that are totally unexpected. Because everyone knew, oh shoot, I did something bad, so they should do this to me, but then do something that is totally unexpected. When someone slaps you on the right cheek, what is it? He goes, turn to the other cheek. That's unexpected. Because you should slap them back according to the law of retribution. When someone sues you, then you should, and takes your shirt, give them your jacket as well. That's unexpected. Whoa, 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 wait, whoa, what's going on? When someone forces you to go one mile, then go to the extra mile. And that comes from the, during biblical times where the Roman government, they could actually make you take some of the luggage or whatever and just carry it for a mile. And then he says, when they are doing that to you, go an extra mile. Go above and beyond. Do what's unexpected. When someone wants to borrow, then give them without demanding payment. That's unexpected. You know what that feels like. Let's have lunch. And then you buy them lunch. Because you want to bless them for the generosity of your heart. Then a month later, go, oh, let's have lunch. What goes through your mind? I bought them last time. They better pay. They better pay this time. And when they don't make a move for the check, my dime. Something stirs up. Selfish. I always have to pay. Okay, we're going to split it this time. But they still owe me from last month. The point that Jesus is trying to make is that, let me make sure that we don't take this to the extreme. It doesn't mean that if someone slaps you, if some murderer, killer comes and starts killing your spouse or your kids, kill me too. That is not what he's teaching. Some of you are like, he said to give if they want something. Here, have it all, have it all. And then you can't pay rent and you're in jail. I don't know. That is not what he's teaching. This is where I think there are some people who take things literally and that's not what he's teaching. What he's trying to teach is this. Is that not so much that you cannot protect your family, you cannot protect yourself if something were to happen. But what he's saying is your motive behind it. Are you doing it because you are angry and you want to retaliate? That's what's wrong. Are you, do you do things to expect something back? Or do you give, and we'll talk about that later, because you're expecting something back? That's why I love the Romans chapter 12, verse 17 through 21. I'm going to read it from the, the Passion Translation. Listen to what it says. And there's a couple yellow highlighted parts. I want you to read that with me. Let's read it together in one voice on that part. It says this. Never hold a grudge or try to get even, but plan your life around the noblest way to benefit others. Once again, get, hold on, hold on. <laughs> Praise God, you guys. Okay, jump three times. Okay, no, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Listen, the noblest way to benefit others. You know what, it, what it, pretty much the scripture is saying? Get rid of 
put away your preference and think about the other person. Verse 18 says, do your best to live as everyone's friend. Beloved, don't be obsessed with taking revenge, but leave that to God's righteous justice. For the scripture says, if you, take, if you don't take justice into your own hands, I will release justice for you, said the Lord, says the Lord. And if your enemy is hungry, buy him lunch. Win him over with kindness. I love that phrase. Are you able to win people over and do it with kindness? It says, for your surprising generosity will awaken his conscience and God will reward you with favor. Never let evil defeat you, but defeat evil with good. It's a surprising generosity. Like no one is expecting it, but all of a sudden you're like, oh, oh. That's what allows the light to shine. If you do everything that the world does and which is natural and which is really expected, then of course there is no difference. But what Jesus is saying is that if you're part of this kingdom lifestyle and the way you live your life, if you would do it that is unexpected, then they will wonder what what is motivating you? Why are you so different? And this is where Christ, his light will shine brightly in your relationships and the people around you. I'm just wondering this morning, who are some people in your life that have hurt you? Who have offended you? Who are the people in your life that you want to see, if you were really honest, you want to see them suffer? Like you've suffered. Who are people that you want them to pay for what you had to go through? Jesus was teaching about self-sacrifice. It's so much greater than personal rights personal preference because the motivation is love and humility and i'm telling you right now this is one of the hardest things and i'm talking about even for myself love and humility that's what allows you to let go of your preferences and to be self-sacrificing and to realize that i do it because i do it for christ jc ryle in his book expository thoughts on the gospels he wrote on book of John, he writes this, humility and love are precisely the graces which the men of the world can understand. If they do not comprehend doctrines, they are the graces about which there is no mystery and they are within reach of all classes. The poorest Christian can every day find occasion for practicing love and humility. What a powerful thought. Let me summarize in this way. There will be many people in this world who will never step inside the four walls of a church. But you are on the mission field, whether it's at work or at school, your classrooms, in your neighborhoods. And the way you do things that are unexpected will allow them because they understand love and humility. Can I get a good amen? Everyone understands that language. Everyone understands that act of self-sacrifice and humility. It doesn't matter what culture, what country, what language. Everyone understands humility and love. So when you respond in everything that you do with love and humility, the light will shine brightly. When we do what is unexpected, then we're putting away our preferences. Let me just give us the second thought here about putting away our preferences. 
So not only do things that are unexpected, but I kind of alluded to it, hinted at it, but secondly is to do things that are unnatural. Um, it's amazing that in 2020, this year, do, do you know that 75% of 2020 is gone? It, it, I, literally, I blink my eyes and we're doing this and then blink my eye again, we're like behind a computer, blink my eye, here you are again. Like 75% of this year, 2020, because I was thinking 2020, what a great number, right? Some of you, the Chinese, you know, the background, numbers are really important, right? <laughs> you know, those numbers are really important. Like 2020, that's when you want to get married. Like February 2nd, 2020, you know, stuff like that. 75% of the uh, 2020, it's gone. That means we only have 25% left. That's about three months. And it's just amazing to think about what has happened in the last nine months. Wow, it's amazing. If you, I, I just sat down and I was kind of typing a timeline of 2020. And I realized, oh my God, so much has happened. Sports fan, you know, one of, one of the top 20 players in the world passed away, right, through an accident. There are so many things that we just totally forget. We're like, wow, that happened? Oh, that happened? So I'm going to try to just bring this to uh, some level of closure. Um, Jesus talks about retaliation. And after talking about retaliation, he's talking about loving our enemies. And I did this because... Some of the emotions that you feel are people that I think many of us will have a hard time loving. We consider them as enemies. You have to know that there is an Old Testament law that says love your neighbor. Let's look at this. Leviticus, quickly here. In Leviticus, it says, you have heard it, heard that it was, okay, let's, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, well, let's, let's read the Old Testament one. Leviticus 19. It says, do not hate your brother in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor, frankly, so you will not share in his guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. This is a command in the Old Testament. Now, the thing that you need to understand is that there is nowhere... In the Bible, in the Old Testament for these Jewish people, where it says, hate your enemies. So let's go back to the Matthew passage. If you look at the Matthew passage once again, what you notice is that Jesus says, what? You have heard it once said, you should love your enemies and what? Hate your enemies. Nowhere in scripture is teaching that, but that's what these people understood. L love your neighbor, but hate your enemies. So once again, there are a lot of cultural things that come into our lives that we don't even know. So the only way that someone could come to this conclusion is by inf inference, by drawing some conclusions on a different passage. So let me give you that passage where they got this from. Uh, there are a couple other passages, but I'm going to highlight this one. Psalm 139, verse 21 through 22, it says this in the New Living Translation. Oh Lord, shouldn't I hate those who hate you? Shouldn't I despise those who oppose you. Yes, I hate them with total hatred for your enemies are what? 
my enemies. Nowhere does Jesus says hate your enemies. Or nowhere does the Bible, God says hate your enemies. But they took a verse like this and they're like, you know what? We, we could hate our enemies. So that's why Jesus says, you have heard it once said. And he gives the Leviticus passage, which is the Old Testament, love your neighbor. But then this extra stuff, it's not in the Bible. They just infer from this passage. And so then he says, what, but what? But I tell you, to what? To love your enemies. Not to hate them. So once again, it's unexpected and unnatural. That is how you're going to put away your preferences. And the thing that's interesting is if you look at the Luke chapter 6, and we're not going to have time for this, but if you look at it, it's the same account as this Matthew passage, but he tells us four things to do. Really quickly, what does he say? He says, do good to your enemies. You are to bless your enemies. You are to pray for your enemies and to give to your enemies. Do all these things to those people you do not like. Pray for them and bless them. Pray for them, bless them, do good to them, and to give to them. Wow, why would you do that? Because once again, it is unnatural. It is unexpected, but that is how you put away your preferences. Let me just quickly now jump, and if I could just bring it with one closure. The reason why we are motivated to do this, to love our enemy, is because of Jesus Christ, our example. Why? Because even in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, listen to what it says. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are His dear children. Live a life filled with love. Follow the example of Christ. He loved us and offered Himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Become more like Jesus Christ. That is what he's trying to emphasize here. Uh, I'm not going to have time to talk about perfect or whatever. Let me just close with this last point. And it's simply this, that we must not only put away our preferences, but we have to put away our pretensions. We have to put away our pretensions. Let me just summarize chapter 6, verse 1 through 4. What he simply says is this, you need to give. And he's going to talk about giving, prayer, and fasting. And we're going to talk about prayer and fasting next week. But the thing that he's trying to pinpoint is this. For every Jewish person, these three things were signs of righteousness. If you prayed, if you gave, and if you fasted. So now he's totally addressing something that everyone, every Jewish person knew that they had to do. But the problem was, if you tie everything all together, a lot of these Jewish people did it with the wrong motive. They did it externally because they wanted everyone to see them. That's why he talks about that do not give so that people can see you. Don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Don't blow the trumpet. That, that phrase, blowing the trumpet, is just drawing attention to yourself. You know, it's like, ah, you know, the ah, banging the thing. And I was like, where's that sound coming from? Oh, that's what he's referring to. Don't blow the trumpet so that people can see it's you who's giving. Why is all this important? Because what he's saying is this. Too often we cannot live this kingdom life because we are too pretentious. We pretend. That's why he uses the word hypocrite. That word is very important because that word hypocrite is an old word that is used for an actor, an interpreter, or someone who impersonates somebody else. So you're, not, you're being fake. You're not real. So does that mean that we cannot give? Uh, without people knowing, then we should all just close our eyes and just throw it somewhere. Like by us getting up, by us doing this, then everyone knows we're giving. Once again, Jesus is not saying that no one can know. But he's saying, what is your heart motive? 
Like there are some things that you would not do if there were people, no one there. I'm thankful that a good handful of you are doing the Bible reading plan and doing the soap. But I'm wondering if some of you are doing it because there are other people who are watching you or being accountable to you. There's nothing wrong with doing something because you're accountable. But the true test is, if you don't have to send it out to anybody, will you still do it? If we never give a call to give, because there's, there's a need, but, we're not, but you're faithfully giving. I remember one of the things I, I just really had a hard time with, especially with my parents' church. It was a Korean church was that one of the things that they would do is they would collect the offerings and they would have like special envelopes that in the chairs that you could put money in. And these special envelopes were very distinct. They had a, a specific color, so everyone knew. And then the pastor would come up after taking all the offering and some people will quickly take those envelopes and give it to the pastor. And the pastor would then stand up in the front and he goes, oh, praise God for uh, the Kim family who gave uh, $500. Uh, praise God for the Lee family. You know, uh, they gave $1,000. Praise God for the Park family. I'm trying to name all the Korean names. Anyway. Um, <laughs> praise God for Kim Jong-un. No, I mean, I just was like, <laughs> praise God for, and, and I remember sitting there, I'm like, this is so disgusting. So I actually had a conversation with my mom. I go, why do you guys do that? <laughs> and she goes, well, that's just the way to just, you know, just praise the Lord. But you're not praising anybody but yourself. This is how I, we have a conversation. <laughs> but can you give without anyone knowing that you gave? Because what the end goal is, who, what? Who receives the glory, yourself or God? And if people know it's you, that you already earned your reward here on this earth. You get a little bit of this. Good job. But then your reward in heaven, you'll miss out on. I pray that we will be rich in heaven. Because of all the things that we're doing, that even though no one sees, and this might be an encouragement for some of you who are doing so many things in our church that no one notices. Like, me being up here every single week, like people notice. But I always tell people there are a lot of people behind the scenes that no one knows. It. Someone had to set up the chairs. Do they measure it at the social distancing? I don't know. There's somebody who had to do all this. There are so many other people that they do things that we have no idea what they do. And so what God is saying to you as an encouragement to you is, I know your heart. And sometimes you want to be recognized. Sometimes you feel unappreciated. But God is saying, great is your reward in heaven. Isn't that what we want? But in our flesh, in our self-centeredness, we want to be recognized. Why can't we be like that other person with gifts that are more public and upfront? Why can't I do this? But what God is saying, that is not your lot. That is not your calling. Do what he has called you to do, and then he will open up other things for you. So once again, I'm sorry, I'm just skipping through this because I realize that the Mentimeter, I don't know. I shouldn't have done that, but I wanted to highlight the anger that many of us feel. We learn. Now, I, I, I think I was still in a Zoom mode. But with live, like, you know, I'm learning people's names. Like Violet, Rainbow, and all this stuff. So take some seconds there. 
So what is the one thing? Once again, the one thing is the weakness of our love makes us turn to the greatness of God's love. So the challenge for us, once again, as we think about this, is that we must put away our preferences and put away our pretension and do it from the heart because we love God. And we cannot love people unless he gives us this love. I'm going to just give you some thoughts to think about for next steps, and then we're going to close out with this uh, video for us to kind of pray through. First thing is this. Pray for those who are hard to love. There's no way you're going to be able to love them on your own. Pray. I want to even challenge you. Pray every single day for even 30 seconds every single day and see your heart change because God can do it. Number two, prepare to love others. What do I mean by that? I simply mean you cannot just in that moment be like, I love you. I am loving. It's not like, ta-da. It's not like that. Like so many things happen in your life when you see, oh, or when you're in this situation, grr, poopy, you know, uh, that kind of stuff. That's why when you know you're going to face somebody or you know you're going to be in a situation, prepare to love. So you got to think about it. Say, God, I can't do this on my own. I need you. You have to prepare to love. Even that's why when we go do outreaches, why do we spend some time in prayer? Because you can't just love anybody because we need God's love. So that's what we prepare. Third thing is participate in community. If there's any way that you want to prepare for marriage, how many of you want to get married? Amen? Amen. <laughs> okay. So I'm telling you right now, by being in community, you're learning some of the skills. Right now. <laughs> all right. Okay. All right. Uh, some of us. You have roommate situation, I can't wait until you get married because that's what's going to happen. Like everything you're in right now, relation, community, roommate situation, that is preparing you. So participate in community because that is going to teach you how to love. How, don't raise your hand. Do not raise your hand. This is going to be really bad. It's a rhetorical question. How many of you, do not raise your hand, how many of you have somebody, do not raise your hand. So I just want to make sure, just in case some of you are still sleeping. And then I see some of you like, oh, yeah. Do not raise your hand. How many of you have someone in your life group that is very difficult to love? Just kind of itchy right here. Ah, just, ah, yeah. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Because every single one of you have someone in your life group that is difficult to love. You can't be, oh, you're so easy to love. No, uh, you're, it's hard. But that's why being in community will teach you how to love because there's so many more unlovable people in this world who need the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can I get a good amen to that? Amen. Amen. And lastly, pause to remember God's love story, his love story for you. When you think about what he has done while we were yet still sinners, he loved us. That's when we're able to, because that is unnatural. That is unexpected. And when we know that, that's when we're going to be able to love people. I wanted to show you this video because it's a powerful story of Darren Gray. It actually moved my heart when I thought about what would I do if I was in a situation. I honestly, apart from the grace of God, I don't think I could have done it. I could not have done it, knowing myself. But that's why it has to be a love of another kind. I pray that we will be kingdom-minded people who live a kingdom lifestyle to serve the greatest king. And the way we do it, first of all, is by loving people around us with no pretensions, not leaving 
preferences before us, but to say, God, teach me to love like you love. So let's close out with this. Let's stand together as we close. What Darren Ray did was something that was unexpected and very unnatural. That's why the judge was blown away and he goes, write everything that he says and then make sure that the person who's in jail hears it. I'm just wondering right now, as I shared earlier from the beginning, who are some of those people in your life that you cannot forgive? You cannot love. You cannot extend grace. And whenever that happens, number one, it's natural. And number two, it's expected. That's the two just simple answers. It's natural to feel that way and it's expected that you will feel that way. I don't know what pain that you've gone through. Some of you have probably you've never shared or some of you have gone through a lot of pain in your life. But when you realize how the weakness of your love, you will never be able to do it on your own. And that's why we've got to turn to the greatness of God's love. So the more you meditate on how much he loves you while you are still so sinful that you didn't deserve any of his grace, any of his mercy, any of his forgiveness, but he forgave you, he loved you, he died on the cross. That's when, just like what Darren Ray said, when I think about a debt that I could never repay, I could forgive this person. A lot of times you cannot forgive because you're being focused on yourself, your own brokenness, your own pain. And if you stay there, you are going to be a forever patient, a victim for the rest of your life. You will never grow. I could guarantee you this. Out of the 30 years of counseling people, meeting up with people, tens of thousands of hours sitting down in cafes, restaurants, talking with people. To this day, I have never seen one victim person playing the victim ever get through it or change ever if you guys know of some let me know this is the reason why satan knows this so well and he puts some of you in that isolation and that trap we got to be released from this and the only way is to turn to jesus christ who is the author and the perfecter of your faith who loved you enough to die on the cross to set you free and now your debt that you owe God is a debt of love. To love Him and to love people. I just pray that today, I know there's many of you have many things to do today. But will you take at least 30 minutes, maybe an hour, just walk around a park, get somewhere alone, and just let Him speak to you deeply. Let Him do that healing touch in your life. And don't do it alone. Talk to your LCG. Talk to somebody, your leader, who can walk with you. We'll love to do that. And if some of you want to meet up with me, I would love to do that as well, even with Pastor. But we would, we're here because we want to see your life being transformed. We're going to ask God to shine His light on us so that we can shine His light to the nations around us. Man, what a powerful testimony. Visible signs of brokenness, but in His heart, He is whole. May we be like that. So, Father, I just pray for every single person here. 
without knowing everything that each person is going through, the hurt, the pain. But Lord, one thing I do know is that you are a God of grace and love and forgiveness. You are the healer, as it says in your word. By your stripes, we are healed. So Father, we look to you and to your son, Jesus Christ, as a reminder for us that our love is so weak. We don't have the ability or even the capability in our own to be able to love. But God, with you, all things are possible. Lord, it's impossible with man. It is possible with you. So I pray that you was just right now, just all over this room, just infuse us, Lord, with your love. Help us to consider the cross, to think about that cross and what that means for us. So just, I pray for a release of healing, just a release of your truth into every single person in their mind. Lord, every broken relationship, everything that seems to go wrong, Lord, I'm praying right now that you would turn those things around. You're the God of the comeback, Lord. You're the God of second chances. And you're more than able to do it. And we believe that by faith. So Father, we just pray that in the weaknesses of our love, that will turn to the greatness of your love. It's you, Lord God. So we're going to put away, Lord God, our preferences, put away our pretensions, and God, just come to you humbly. And as you fill us, we're going to start doing things that are unnatural and unexpected. And people will see and wonder, who is this God that you serve? May we shine your light brightly as we live according to this kingdom lifestyle that is out of this world extraordinary so i'm going to just ask us just really just with our eyes closed head bowed i'm going to ask you to just say a phrase and we'll sing this chorus and we'll dismiss you simply this and why don't you repeat it after me all right lord jesus Come on, let's say it with some conviction. Lord Jesus, fill me with your love so that I can love. Let's just worship him. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.